The following is a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org. Happy Groundhog Day! Did you know it was Groundhog Day? Yeah, good. I, and you thought I was going to start with something about the big game today, I'm sure. Well, the clip that we just watched is from the 1993 movie Groundhog Day starring Bill Murray. And in the movie, he keeps, if you haven't seen it, he keeps reliving the same day, Groundhog Day, over and over again. He wakes up each day and he goes back to the same ceremony where Punxsutawney Phil, the weather-predicting groundhog, comes out and predicts the weather for the year. Groundhog Day works this way. If the groundhog comes out and he sees his shadow... Then he retreats into his burrow, and you know that it's going to be a much longer winter. By the way, that is what he did today, if you hadn't caught the news. If he doesn't see his shadow, then he says that spring is going to come early. Now, the principal question on Groundhog Day is, how long will the winter last? Now, if you're here on the West Coast, you're probably saying, it's winter? I had no idea. But for those who've experienced those harsh winter conditions on the other side of the country, that way, uh, for them, that question has much more uh, pressing nature to it. You know, when we look at God's story, there's a very similar question that we ask. How long will the winter last? How long will things not be right? How long will there be darkness? How long will I be subject to pain and death? When will God return and make things right? Well, over the past three weeks, we've been looking at God's epic story, and we've looked at three movements in that story so far. We talked about creation, how God created the world, and it was good. We've talked about the fall, how humans came along and messed it all up by disobeying their God. Then last week, we talked about the redemption, God's story of redemption throughout Scripture, just pursuing His people And so now we've reached this point in the story where we know that Christ has redeemed us from the fall of of humanity, that he died to set us free. But we still know that not everything is right. We're still subject to death and decay. The winter is still here in some ways. So when will it all end? When will God restore his creation? Now, there's all sorts of predictions about when things will end. We've survived Y2K, the year 2000. So many people thought the world was going to end then. We've survived the Mayan apocalypse of 2012. We don't know. I mean, God tells us that Christ is going to return like a thief in the night. And so anybody who makes predictions has just as much authority on the matter as a common groundhog, who, by the way, I'm told is usually wrong. But we could use a little winter around here, couldn't we? Oh, man, we're praying for rain today. and Let's continue to do that. That would be really great for this area. It's beyond the scope of our our series today and our series in, in its entirety to talk about all the elements of Christ's return and what that's gonna look like. We're gonna do that another time in another series. But today, I wanna talk about what happens as a result of Christ's return, what the end picture looks like. And so today we're going to talk about this final movement, 
the movement of restoration. Our scripture reading today comes from the last book in the Bible, Revelation, chapter 21. This book was written as a, a series of, of visions that, that a man named John had had. He's, he's just recalling these visions for us and telling us um, what God had shown him while he was exiled for his faith on the island of Patmos, uh, not far from modern-day Turkey. And so this is what he says. Chapter 21 gives us this picture of this world restored. Beginning in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. You know, they never talk about husbands beautifully dressed for their bride, do they? Guys, we looked good in our tuxes. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and I will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more mourning or death or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Then it kind of turns here and it says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. This is God's word. Please pray with me. Lord, we're thankful for your word for us this morning, and and as we talk about your work of restoration, give us a real sense of of what you want us to take away from this today for our life experience right now. Help it to give us hope and direction. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that passage is what I would call a good news, bad news passage, right? I mean, things are going great for those first seven verses. We're like, yes, yes, and then we get to verse eight and we go, ugh. We're going to get to the bad news in in a few minutes, but before we do that, I want to focus on the good news, and it is really good news. Revelation tells us that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Now, I don't know what you picture when you think of heaven. Perhaps you picture a bouncing along clouds with with harps and wings, and, and that that's the vision of heaven that you have. Some of the commercials today may show a version of heaven that is us watching endless football with a well-stocked fridge. (laughs) Um, Others, uh, church people, will make heaven sound like an endless church service that just never ends. Now, with, with all due respect to all of those perspectives, I hope that heaven is way better than any of those things. And Revelation 21 tells us that it is. It teaches us some really important realities about this new heaven and new earth. For one, it teaches us that there is a physical reality 
to our eternity, that we're not just going to be disembodied spirits hopping along on clouds, but there we will have this physical existence enjoying a world that is not tainted by the fall, a world that is better than anything we have ever experienced on this world, even better than your team winning the Super Bowl. It will reflect God's original purpose for humanity, and it's going to be good. There will be beauty that you've never imagined, harmony that you never dreamed of happening. It's a world without evil and chaos. When it talks about there being no sea in this passage, it's, it really symbolizes the ancient world had this view of the sea, that it was a place of chaos and evil. And you get a sense of this if you read through the book of Revelation. In chapter 13, there is a beast that emerges from the chaotic sea to go out and wreak havoc on humanity. And so this, this vision of no sea means this is a world with no chaos and no evil. And that's something that we can really look forward to. This brings me to another aspect of the passage today. We have a slide that, that goes along with this. Pain and suffering, that was what we just talked about. We'll move on to pain and suffering will be no more. All will be well. Revelation 21.4, I'm going to read it again. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. What a beautiful promise of the world that is coming a world with no more pain. Without this promise, I got to tell you, eternal life would not be as appealing to, to a lot of people without this promise. I had an experience once that, that really hammered that idea home for me. I, when I was in college, we found out that Pearl Jam, it's back in the early 90s, Pearl Jam was coming and they were going to play a show in Indio out past Palm Springs. And so I got together with a bunch of my friends, and we all went out to this polo ground, and we, and we watched this concert, and something happened in that concert that has stuck with me ever since it happened. Eddie Vedder, the, the front man for the group, he, he came up at one point, and he held up a Bible, and he said, you, you people must not know me very well here. When I came into town, somebody handed this to me, and he said, do you want to live forever? And I will clean up his response to that man. <laughs> but basically he said, why would I want to live forever? And then he threw the Bible out into the group. You know, Vetter, at least up until that point in his life, had experienced a lot of anguish. I think that's why his music spoke so powerfully to people back in the 90s, because that's what he'd experienced. He'd had a hard life. And when that is your experience of life, then the idea of going on and on forever would not be very appealing. But Revelation teaches us that eternal life won't be the same life that we've had here. Death won't be possible. There will be no evil intentions. Relationships won't be broken. No one will be discarded or mistreated on the basis of what they look like or what they do or who they hang out with. There won't be pain or hurt or suffering or injustice. And for the first time in our lives, we will feel completely fulfilled. I love what Rick Warren says in his best-selling book, The Purpose Driven Life. 
He says, in order to keep us from becoming too attached to earth, God allows us to feel a significant amount of discontent and dissatisfaction in life. Longings that will never be fulfilled on this side of eternity. We're not completely happy here because we're not supposed to be. Earth is not our final home. We were created for something much better. So when God restores humanity, we will for the first time experience this fullness and this fulfillment that we've never had before, that we've been longing for. And here's some more good news from the passage. We are going to have our relationship with God restored. Have you ever wished that God didn't seem so distant? Have you ever wished that God would just reveal himself to you? Do you ever have questions that don't have answers and you wish God would answer them? When we live on the new earth, God is going to give us a break from all these frustrations. God won't seem so distant. He'll be living with us and our questions will be answered. You know, the Jews saw the temple that they had in Jerusalem. They saw it as the place where heaven touched earth, where God and humans came together, but it was done in a very restricted way. You could only approach the temple, and and the closer that you got to the Holy of Holies, you had to go through more restrictions, and less people were allowed to go. So it was this very controlled way of approaching this place where God and humanity touched. But the new Jerusalem that's talked about in the passage that we read today won't have those restrictions. We will see God face to face He will live with us because Christ will have made us clean and able to be in the presence of a holy God without being consumed. We'll be made entirely new as though we had never sinned at all. Encounters with God on earth are always limited. Uh, Even Moses, who had some of the most incredible encounters ever with God, even he was shielded from the fullness of God's glory because he was a sinful human being. But eternity won't be like that. As it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. God is preparing this eternity, this beautiful place for us. And can you imagine how excited he's going to be to show that to you? Can you imagine how joyful he'll be to say, look what I've been preparing you since the beginning of time? This is all wonderful news. A new heaven and a new earth. A world with no pain, no suffering, no crying, no mourning. And a relationship restored with God. Now I could have stopped right there in the passage, right at the end of verse 7. But I I really wrestled with it because I said, you know, I got to be true to God's word and I got to take the time and I got to read what comes next, what ends that particular paragraph. See, there is some bad news in this passage. And the bad news is that we can miss out on that glorious eternity. We can miss out on this this promise, this goodness that God has planned for us. That there are a lot of different ways that people talk about hell. In this particular passage, it gives us this 
this language, it's, it's really hard to even fathom and imagine the, this place where it's burning sulfur. It's a second death. If the first death happens on this earth, then the second death happens when we're raised to judgments and, and we face this potential end. It all sounds harsh. And honestly, I wish it wasn't so. One of the questions I'm going to ask God when I get to see him someday is, why? Why did there even have to be a hell? I can't answer all of your questions about hell. But what I can do is share a few things. First, God is a holy God. He can't be in the presence of evil. If we don't have Christ to cover our sins, then we're going to be judged according to what we have done. And when we reject God, he really just gives us over to the desires of our hearts and eternity without him. So the important question for you today is, which way have you chosen? Have you chosen the way that leads to life and to eternity and to love? Or have you chosen the way that leads to a separation from all that and pain? And in case you missed it, these last two weeks, the only way that we can get to that blessedness is through Christ, through what he has done for us on his cross. I want to read the, those verses, that, that verse, again, verse 8, that tells us the list of all the things that, uh, all the people that, that won't inherit this eternal life. And rather than looking at it as those people, I want us all to look at it and try to find ourselves on this list, because when we do that, we begin to realize what Christ has saved us from. So let me read it. Here's the list. The cowardly are those who run from what is right. The unbelieving, the vile, the murderer, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, or those who pronounce curses and, and align themselves with evil spirits, idolaters, and all liars. Now, do you see yourself on that list? If you don't, if you still see it as those people, let me remind you that Christ said, if you have ever called somebody a fool, or if you've ever used a negative term to describe somebody, then it's as though you have broken the command for murder. If you have ever looked at somebody with lust, he says, then it's as though you have committed adultery in your heart. Additionally, if you've ever put something at the first place in your life above God, even once, then you, like me, we have broken the command on idolatry. If you've ever told a half-truth, a white lie, if you've ever withheld the truth when it should have been spoken, then you've broken that command on lying. This is why the most important thing that you can do in this life is to put your faith in the story of redemption, and in the one who made it all possible. That Jesus died for your sins to make you pure and holy before God. So regardless of what you have done, you won't be subject to that second death. Christ alone qualifies us for eternity and the joy of the new earth. Understanding this ought to lead us to a place of gratitude. It ought to lead us to worship it should inspire us to want to change, to allow God to change us from the inside out and to tell other people about this good news. 
In Christ, we've been taken from a place of condemnation to a place of eternal blessedness. And so today, I want to close this series out by rereading something that I read at the end of my message on Christmas Eve. It talks about what will be when we put our hope and our faith in Christ. In those days, after Christ had returned, and once Satan had met his doom, the Lord spoke to his people, and he said, See, I am making all things new. I'm giving paradise back to you. The curse is gone. Death is no longer possible. Then he wiped every tear from their eyes and put an end to mourning and crying and pain. This was a new world, life as it was meant to be. For the first time, people experienced absolute wholeness and healing. Those who had been blind could now see a dazzling array of colors. Those who had been crippled now ran and jumped and played pain-free through pristine fields where trouble could no longer touch them. Those who had been enslaved, abused, or oppressed, those who had been dehumanized were finally free, living lives of unfettered joy. Relationships were restored. People of every race and every language came together as one. There was no more war, for all lived in peace. Parents were joyfully reunited with their children, those who were taken from the earth at far too young an age. Old friends were blissfully reunited. Grandparents and grandchildren danced in the streets hand in hand. There was unspeakable joy, unimagined goodness, endless delight. They walked with God in the cool of the garden and met Jesus face to face. They took their seat at a great banquet alongside Abraham, Moses, and David, and they shared wonderful stories. There were always new adventures, new wonders, and delights, and each day was better than the one that preceded it, and they lived happily ever after. This is the story that God invites each of us into. Will you respond to this story, this epic in faith? Will you allow it to to lead you to a place of gratitude and worship, to share this good news with with others, and to let God transform your life? Christ is coming back to restore all of creation. And until he does, he invites us to take our place in this story, to fulfill the role that we were uniquely created to fill. And if we will, if we'll answer that call, adventure awaits in this life and in the eternity that is to come. Please pray with me. Lord, we believe that. We believe, hey, it's right in our website, adventure. Lord, we believe that you are calling us to an adventure of faith. It's not always an easy adventure, but it is one that leads to this place of healing, of goodness, of no more pain. So Lord, help us to live in in light of that eternity each day. Help us to put our faith and our hope in you and to share that good news with others. In Christ's name, amen.